This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my terrific, I'm going to use Fantabulous, co-host Brie Tucker. Woo woo. Hello, hello, everybody. How are you? I like that. Fantabulous. And Brie, we're We're back. back. We're back. We're we back. Missed you guys. After we did. We missed you all. And we have such a phenomenal season planned for you, filled with amazing guests and great topics. And welcome to everyone who joined us at the Happy Mom Summit. I know. Oh my gosh. I, you know, I would love to see how many of our podcast listeners were there at the summit with us. Yeah. That, that was, was a fantastic. fun time. If you did not know that Brie and I have pretty mad dancing skills, you got to see them. <laughs> at the summit like mad dancing skills like skills that like put on full cringe with our kids dancing <laughs> skills <laughs> I still argue that I am a good dancer you are you know. a good dancer oh, no, you we are, are dancer, we are yes. but yes our kids are like oh no because we don't do the tiktoks right no they're like you do that in front of people online. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, yes. totally <laughs> we figure if we can dance like no one's watching, you can dance like no one's watching, as everyone should. Yes. <laughs> Today, we have an amazing guest. Her name is Kim Hopkins. She is a collaborative and proactive solutions trainer and director of outreach for Dr. Ross Green's nonprofit, Lives in the Balance. And if you don't know Dr. Ross Green, he is the author of The Explosive Child, as well as uh, Raising Young Humans. And it like his method is what we really draw from in common happy parenting as well. It's just phenomenal. Yes, yes. Well, I mean the 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 meat that you're going to hear in this episode about the whole philosophy and working with kids is just great. But I don't want to interrupt her bio anymore. <laughs> 
Kim, Kim works with parents, educators, and providers to share the research that shows kids with concerning behaviors aren't lacking motivation. They're lacking skills, especially those related to flexibility, adaptability, emotion regulation, frustration tolerance, and problem solving. And can we get a hallelujah to that? Yes. 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 And as a special little treat for this episode, we have something else that came back to Brie. Oh, what else came back? Our No Guilt Mom YouTube channel. Yay! Oh my gosh, yes. Did you guys know that we had a YouTube channel? We have Probably got pretty. not. Probably but, not. <laughs> well, you know what? Almost a thousand people do. So in my opinion, that's a lot. <laughs> but on our No Guilt Mom YouTube channel, we have a new video for you. And it's always videos that could be used as a family with your kids. And this one is about three ways to approach problem solving, which I believe Kim talks about in her interview with us she too. She does. So it's something you can take immediately and you can go watch with your kids. And then you have this new skill that you can use in your family. It's fantabulous, people. So we have tons of goodies for you. Welcome back to the podcast. And let's get on with our interview with Kim. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast, Kim. We're so happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So this is such a passionate topic for me um, as a former teacher, because I read Dr. Green's book, The Explosive Child. And when I went through it, I'm like, yes, like this is how we should have been talking with students and dealing with problems with students and also like how parents should be approaching the situation too. So could you give us a really like brief overview of exactly what mistakes are parents making now when they're dealing with discipline problems? Sure. And, you know, through no fault of our own, right? Because yeah. <laughs> what we're taught to do to be good parents and good educators and good clinical providers is to reward the behaviors we like and punish and consequence the behaviors we don't like to teach our kids right from wrong and to let them know this is what we like, this is what we don't like, right? What that misses is that, um, you know, pretty quickly kids pick up right from wrong. You know, when my son was 18 months, he knew he shouldn't throw a train across the library <laughs> and scream at his sister. He already knew that because I had already told him, right? Yet it happened anyway, right? And so what we are taught to do is, well, maybe we need bigger rewards and more painful consequences. Like that's the message, right? And it misses the boat. And the boat it's missing is that this is not intentional behavior to upset anyone. This is the best thing the kid can think to do in the moment, given their current skill set. And so what we need to be thinking about is, well, my child would do well if he could. Not if he wants to, because that's what everybody tells us. Like, your kid will do well if he wanted to. And if they don't want to, you got to make them want to, right? No. They would do well if they could. When they're not doing well, we need to think what is getting in their way. And we need to fully believe they'd like to do well based on the fact that they're human, right? And we all pretty much do the best we can in the situations we find ourselves in. That's true of our children too. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that's such an important point that kids would do well if 
they could and something that we miss a lot as adults. Mm-hmm. And if they're not doing well, something's getting in the way. And what the research tells us that something lagging skills that lead to unsolved problems or unmet expectations, but it all starts with the skills. They're lacking skills, not lacking motivation. So I, I love that. And as someone that coming from early childhood, that's a real uphill climb. You know, when you're dealing with uh, kiddos that are in a, that are young under the age of five, still working on communication skills, still working on social skills, still working on motor skills. Right. And then they're in a large setting with like 10 to, to 20 kids, depending upon the preschool classroom. And it's hard for, for teachers to be able to take that moment, take that step back and be able to focus in on what's happening with the child. So I'm going to ask you, can we dissect that situation where you have a kiddo that is under five? and that is upset and chucking a train across the room. Mm -hmm. What are some things that that child might be lacking in that scenario? Well, and I'll talk about that scenario in the heat of the moment in a second, but what I want to impress is that the heat of the moment is not the best time to be solving problems Mm -hmm. with kids and teaching skills, right? 100%. What we want to do, we call this an upstream model, prevent the heat of the moment prevent kids from falling in the water and doing their behavior signal, whatever it might be. That's, that's our goal, even with the young ones right now. Yes, I did find myself the true story in the library. My son was just about 18 months old. He's playing with the train table. Um, My daughter's quite a bit older, about five and a half years older. She has not shown interest in that train table for two years, right? At this point, this is all pre COVID when we could play with the trains, right? So he's playing and I'm watching him for a distance, right? You know, she comes over and she picks up a train. Now, mind you, there's 40 trains. He's probably playing with five. She picks up one that he just put down, which I happen to notice. So I have that information, right? He then, because it's the best he could do in the moment, screams, throws it. And then now, of course, he's on the floor kicking and screaming, right? Of course. And I'm watching other parents watch me do this, which is super fun. No, it's not. (laughs) So all the judging glares. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And, And what we're taught as parents is what we should do is, honey, you need to quiet down. This is the library. If you can't be quiet and play safely, you can't be here, right? That's gonna escalate him, most likely. What I really wanna do is go, whoa, this is not how he wanted his day to go, right? Something got in his way. What got in his way? Well, I know at 18 months, he doesn't have a ton of language yet, right? And the ability to express thoughts, needs, and concerns and words is a high-level problem-solving skill that many kids that exhibit concerning behavior don't have. That's just one of the skills the research Can we address us. that really quickly? Like, Because sure. the thing that most parents say is use your words. And it's just not possible during that time. Right. That's one solution to that problem. And it might not fit that kid. It might not fit their age or their ability. Right. Um, Even with older kids, I hear that. And they're like, what words? You know, I've worked with nine, 10, 12 year olds that didn't have the words to uh, insert themselves in a game at recess that was already playing. So they'd end up hurting other kids when all they wanted to do was play, but they didn't know they didn't have the words. Right. Well, so, I'm going yeah. to say on that too, even as an adult, there are situations where I just sit there and I'm like, I don't have the words. Yeah. Especially yeah. when I'm really upset. Mm-hmm. I just can't figure out how to form the words. And I'm an adult. Yeah. I'm 42. Mm-hmm. You can't expect an 18 month old to do it. Yeah. And for all of us, whenever we land in the water and we all land in the water, right? You know, we might be tired or not feeling well or have some bad news happen. We are not at our best. 
And if we are upset, I like to say, when I'm upset, you can see the IQ points fall out of my ears. Like I just lose rational thought, the ability to think, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, frankly, if you're lacking skills before you turn 18 and become an adult in the eyes of the law, right? It doesn't mean you suddenly are gifted these skills on your 18th birthday, right? So plenty of adults walk around that have lacking skills, including myself, that I didn't know until I found this model you know, in my late twenties, early thirties. So, um, absolutely. So shout out to Clarendon for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey guys, Brie here. And let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick Trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Hey, all, it is Joanne and Brie here. And we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explained. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe. And it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. And it makes you feel so much better as an adult to know that there's lacking skills, that like, it's not you, there's no shame about it. It's not a guilt thing. It's just a skill to learn and it's learnable and teachable. And that most people don't have all of them. Yeah. Most people don't have all the skills. So we're out there, we're Mm -hmm. telling you guys right out there right now, you, if you don't have all the skills, it's okay. (laughs) Hardly any of us do. So we're back in the library with your son. <laughs> Sorry. Right, right, right. No, no problem. So I'm not going to do that thing, even though people are watching me. So I go in and I say, oh, honey, and I know he doesn't have words, right? So I go, oh, 
were you not done playing with that train? Now, thankfully, I had the observational data to make that guess. If I hadn't seen it, it would have been harder. I still would have tried, right? But I had that data. And without language, he told me I was right. What did he do? He stopped kicking and he stopped screaming. And then I said, oh, I don't think your sister knew that. Let's tell her. And so I called her over and she's incredibly flexible. So I know that her partner's going to go, okay. And I say, sister, you know, he wasn't done with that train. I know it looked like he was because he put it down, but he put it down to build this piece over here. So if that's the train you want to play with, could he maybe play with it for a couple of minutes and then you play with it? She says, yes. He smiles, takes the train, goes back to playing. And that phrase, couple minutes, still to this day, my kids are now six and 11 and a half, is the phrase that is used when there's a sharing issue. Can I have, and then, and you know, when he's upset, he's like antsy and he goes, can I have that in a couple minutes? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, that's it now, but he learned to say it because over and over and over, I gave it to him and I trained that, right? So we don't have the kind of blowups we had around sharing because we have this phrase that seems to work for both of them, right? And, and it might be different for other kids, but that's how we got out of that. So I didn't tell him, you can't throw, you can't yell, you can't, you can't, you can't. He knows that. Even at 18 months, he knew that. I had to kind of go, wait a minute, something got in his way. Let's figure out what it is. He may or may not be able to give me input on that. And when, as he's gotten more language and now he's six, now he can give me some really quality input. And, and it's great because sometimes I guess wrong. <laughs> so I'd yes. rather not guess if I don't have to, but I have guessing if I need it. What you said there, it reminds me also of um, Dr. Harvey Karp's work with, with the, the toddler toddler on the block with the toddlerese. Yeah. With that, like, and you said you guessed right. And you saw that like downgrade of emotions in him. And yeah. I- I've used that on my kids. It is so effective when you start with that. Uh, and I know that this way that you handled the situation with your son really lines up with the three ways that you teach to collaboratively problem solve with your kids. So let's get into those, that three-step sure. method. So what's like the first thing you do when you have kind of this behavior issue? Yes. Well, and again, I would rather be doing this when he's not upset. And that's in mm -hmm. fact, when we made our best progress was when we picked a time when things were calm and I was like, Hey, you know, and, and our first step is called the empathy step. Although it's a little misleading because empathy is not the key ingredient. Really. It's about gathering information and understanding. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Green says he'd change the name if he didn't think, you know, it would kind of cause mayhem, which at this point probably would. So, but that's the goal here. The goal is the adults kind of going, something got in the way. I, my goal is to understand how this whole thing chained out, right? And I'm missing information that's in this kid's brain that I, if they can tell it to me, I'll just be in a better position to help. It still can be done with kids who are not verbal, but if they can give me some clues that, and we, you know, it doesn't have to be in words when you try to understand, you can ask questions and sometimes kids can thumbs up, thumbs down or they might write on their fingers. If you take some guesses, you know, it was difficult for you when um, to get along with your sister playing with trains in the library because, and then you could take guesses and they can write, rate you five being your, you know, completely on target, one being your way off and everything in, in the middle, you know, and you can make it a game. Um, sometimes we have kids draw pictures. We try to get input from them because they have critical information about what happens in their brains. We can observe the behavior, 
but we're not understanding their cognition and what's gotten in the way happens in the brain, right? They do. And I think that is such an important point to drive home for parents, because a lot of the times parents go into situations thinking that they know exactly what happened. They're like, oh my gosh, that child is being disrespectful or that my child is being rude again and not asking others to play with them when really the child's motivations are completely different. And Mm -hmm. when parents take the time to really figure out what's in a child's brain, you're right you, you have so much more information on how to help. And in my experience, it's been something completely different than what I thought might've been the problem. Right. Like there's so many times that we do our, we are so confident. And I would say even overly confident, right. As parents that we know exactly what's wrong with our kid. We know exactly what's triggering them. And I would say a good, like half at the time, like we're, we're probably wrong, right? Like in a situation like that with the train, like, I don't even think that the first thought to me would have been that my, my kid wasn't done playing with the train. My first thought would have just been that, oh, he wants all the trains or how dare his sister touch any of them or common. He needs to learn to share. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not, and we don't do it to be evil or wrong or make our kids' lives hard. Like, right. Like we're trying to do the best we can too. So I love that about like trying to find out what that true reason is and being open to the fact that, you know what, you may not know it. Cause another one, I'm going to just jump ahead on this one of like, that's like trying to deal with a teenager. Mm -hmm. Like I've got a teenager at home right now. And Mm -hmm. I think I know what the problem is 90% of the time. And I would say I'm right. Maybe 30. We always say be prepared for surprises. It actually makes me think about this time I was working with a school and a kid on the bus he was receiving bus slip after bus slip, which is um, a negative thing. <laughs> it's a it's a consequence because he kept standing up when the bus was moving, and we all go, "Oh my gosh, you can't stand when the bus is moving, right?" So I said, "Let's ask him why, right?" And so this is this is proactive. It's ahead of time because I'm not asking him on the bus. I'm asking him outside the bus, right? And I go, "You know, what's hard about staying in your seat um, during the bus ride to school?" And he said, "Well, my hips hurt." And it's a very long bus ride and I need to stretch them. No word of lie. Everybody was floored. They, they, and some people didn't know if they wanted to believe him. They called mom and mom said, oh, you know, I'm about to call you. Actually, he's having hip surgery next week. He's going to be out. Yeah. <laughs> and he got like all of these bus slips and he was in pain. Yeah. And he was in danger of losing his ride to school because oh. he didn't have the problem solving skills to say my hips are sore on this long bus ride. Now I'm not saying he should stand up when the bus is moving. No, there's a real safety concern we have to address, but we can hold those both together. Mm-hmm. How do we help him not be uncomfortable in such a way that he is not endangering himself and everybody else? Mm-hmm. There is a solution to that. Exactly. Right? And so, yeah. Because mm-hmm. once you have that information, then as an adult, you're able to come in and brainstorm with them. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself though, because I know that's coming <laughs> because we, <laughs> we have step one, the empathy step. And then can you yeah. describe step two? Sure. So after the empathy step takes the longest, by the way, it's the hardest because kids aren't always like, well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what's happening. Like, <laughs> right? right. So often we have to do what we call drill for information and ask questions in different ways. But when we think we understand where the kid's coming from and we sort of summarize what we learned, we say to them, is there anything else that makes this difficult? They say, no, you got it. Then we move on to step two, which by contrast is very quick. This is where we're going to put the adult's concern on the table. So we got the kid's concern or perspective. Now we're going to enter the adult's concern or perspective on the table, usually as a sentence, because typically we're worried about things like safety or um, not falling behind in school 
or, you know, health, well-being, not much else, right? So usually it's a sentence like, well, you know, my concern is that I want everyone to be safe while we're playing in the library. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And it's my easy. concern is that I want everyone to be safe on the bus and we don't risk getting in an accident. And that's then it. since you've already empathized with the child and gotten all their concerns, when I use this step, I find that my kids are much more likely to listen to me. When you're new to this, you might get a kid who says, I don't care about that. And that's usually a signal for, oh, wait, the adult's talking, they're about to win. When this model, it's a win-win, because typically we're taught parents win, kids lose. And that's what they're expecting, right, when we do traditional discipline. So usually I say, well, you, you don't have to care. It's, it's my concern. It's my worry. We're going to work on a solution that meets your concern and mine. And usually then they, that backs them down because they're like, oh, you, you haven't forgotten about what I just said, <laughs> Right. But absolutely. And then with practice, they absolutely are a little more available to hearing the adult's concern. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Well, I think that's a really good point because a lot of times as parents, when we're trying to voice our opinion or our concern, sometimes we get a little emotional Mm -hmm. and we might with that statement, throw in that little jab too, you know, like my concern is that you're just going to fail your science project. Like you always do, (laughs) or like, or you're not going to get your homework done. Like you always don't. But that doesn't like that, that little jab is, is kind of what ends up making them come back. And then we, and then it, it just starts that whole, you know, tip for tat, that right. argument back and forth. Right. And then that's what a lot of times can discourage us as parents of, oh, this, this process doesn't work. Yeah. When really, when really it's like right. that little jab has been putting in there. And, and- but that's also why, like you said, it's great to have this part when you're not emotionally charged mm-hmm. when there's not something setting you off. Yeah. That's a hundred percent the best time. If you as the parent are in the water, cause you're upset, you're not going to be able to be helpful. Table the discussion. It's not going anywhere. Table mm-hmm. it. 
right? It yeah. needs to be a good time for both of you because you need to remain neutral and non-judgmental. And that is much easier said than done, isn't it? It <laughs> is much easier said than done because, oh my gosh, I don't know about you guys, but my emotions like stay around for a while. I get mm-hmm. hot-headed so easily and it takes me a long, long time to cool down. But- well, and I think if there's anybody that really gets your emotions going, it's your family, your yeah. loved ones, especially yep. your kids. Cause your kids are like, you just said, they, they learn things at a very young age. They know exactly how to poke and prod and how also to perhaps maybe guilt you into something. But that's also because you're not ha- they, they don't feel like they can have these conversations with you when you're able <laughs> to have these conversations. I think that kind of behavior really, really dwindles down a lot. Yeah. In other words, they're getting their needs met maladaptively, whether that's the best thing they can think to do or whether that's how they've learned to deal with traditional disciplines, workarounds, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So you mentioned an interesting thing because I know that when some parents start using this, their kids don't really open up at first because that they're not used to adult being They're like, what's your trick? Yeah. What are you trying to do? What's your angle here? (laughs) It's a super transparent model. I'm often saying tell your child that you know you've been and these and use words they'd understand but essentially the message being you know you've been doing things the traditional way and things you thought were helpful were actually making things worse and you didn't want that but you didn't know what else to do and so similarly if you're super committed to this model and you slip up and do it the old way and I've been doing this model 19 years I've been a parent for 11 Sometimes I slip up and I do it the old way because I also get heated, right? Yeah. And so, which is normal. It's normal. But because this has happened and I have made the correction out loud to my daughter, she'll say to me, Mom, you know, this is the thing that doesn't help me. It makes it worse. And I go, Oh, "Oh, right, right. We need a few minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I love it when they can call you out like that. That's like the biggest thing that you're getting through. Right. Yeah. It's way better than having them scream and yell at you or throw a train at you. You know, yeah, and it's totally fine to say, you know what? I make mistakes. Exactly. It's actually incredibly respectful to do that, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's more real. Yeah. And so you have the empathy step, which is step one, define adult concerns. What is the final step in this whole parenting model? So after you just do that one sentence to define your concern, now you're going to put it all together in the third and final step, which is called the invitation step where you're inviting the kid to consider solutions that meet meet both sets of concerns, theirs and yours, right? So, you know, there's a lot of repetition in the model, um, but you would, you want to repeat again what the kids said was their concerns and repeat again what you just said was your concerns because you're sort of lining up, I call it like a math equation. (laughs) This is what we're trying to solve, you know, and you sort of start it with, I wonder if there's a way, I wonder if there's a way where we can help you when um, your sister wants to play with the same toy that you want to play with in such a way that everybody's staying safe and having a good time. Do you have any ideas? And kids get first crack at it, even young ones, even if you're not expecting them to say anything, just just float that out, right? Um, But your partners, the, the solution does not rest on the child, it rests on the partnership. So if you have a child even an older kid, it's, it, is a, it is a high level thinking skill to be able to consider multiple solutions to a problem. And some kids will look at you with a blank face because they can't do it, right? So good thing they have you and they will learn to do that over time. Not, not their fifth time of engaging in problem solving, but maybe their 25th time, they'll start to understand how you 
consider multiple solutions to a problem. And a whole host of other skills get taught in this three-step process without you even having to think about it, mm-hmm. which is the really neat thing. And then we see what solutions um, we might have. Now, a lot of people worry that just because their kid offers a solution, they have to take it. No, no, no. A good solution meets the kid's concern and the adult's. So if they suggest something that only meets their concern, I would say, well, that's an idea. The thing about that is it doesn't do anything to meet my concern about keeping everybody safe. Let's keep thinking. I love that wording because I, I use this process with my kids. And sometimes they're like, if it's about eating nutritiously at dinner or something, their thing is, well, you should just let me eat ice cream. <laughs> and my thing as an adult is like, no, but I love your wording about mm, that's interesting, but it doesn't meet my concern. I'm going to use that from now on. Well, and you know, what's funny. A lot of kids are well-versed in traditional discipline. So they will suggest things that work for the adult, but not for them. Mm, that's and you know, that's not going to work. Don't fall for it. Like if they say, oh, I'll just, I'll just try harder. I'll just, I just, right. I would say, well, the thing about that is it meets my concern, but not yours. So let's keep thinking. I really do want to help you with what you said is hard about this, right? And what a message, right? And so, um, and then the, it ends with an agreement to try the solution that we've decided has a shot of working. There isn't a guarantee, right? But that it has a shot of working. It meets both sets of concerns. We think it's probably doable. So let's try it. And then we'll connect again and see if how it's going, you know, if it's not working, we'll gather information about why it's not working and we'll tweak it together. If it is working, we're gonna celebrate and then we're gonna pick the next problem to solve. <laughs> and the key is you're probably only working on one or two problems at a time, separate conversations for each problem. Um, even when you're good at the model, maybe three is the max, but you don't, you know, some kids have so many unsolved problems on their plate. You really do only wanna work on one or two at a time. Um, because then you can devote the effort to getting those solved. And then you look at the plate and you take another one off, you know? Um, and we have, uh, we have a way to help people kind of sort that out. It's called the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. So you can really start to understand all the skills your kid lacks and all the times that plays out all the unsolved problems. And then you can make a plan of what you're going to prioritize to work on first, second, third, and all of that. And I should mention the whole model. Yeah, the whole model is free. All the downloadables, we got tons of video. It's all free on our website, livesinthebalance.org. Um, there's a lot of great stuff on there, including things about our advocacy efforts, advocating on behalf of kids and their caregivers, uh, parents, educators, clinicians, all of them, right? Um, but you can find the whole model there, video, audio, downloadable stuff. Um, check it out and uh yeah. And follow us on Facebook. If you're on there, we got a bunch of Facebook groups too, that are really, really popular. And it's a great place to not feel alone. That's great. That's amazing. So we'll include links to all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much, Kim, for joining us today and going through the model. Uh, I know that it's a model I use myself. It's a model that Brie uses. It's one we teach to our community as well, based on Dr. Green's work and lives in the balance. So thank you so much for your work and for being here. Well, thanks for what you guys do. Happy to be here. Thank you. 
That was such a great interview with Kim. I think both of us left that interview, Brie, where we're like, oh my gosh, yes, and yes, and yes, and Oh yes. yeah, yeah. Everything that she had to say was, it's everything that we've ever talked about and like it's it's integrated into our comedy parenting. It's, mm-hmm. it's part of our core parenting beliefs. It is, it is. The whole thought process of really figuring out what our kids are trying to get out of the situation and what they're feeling is so opposite from what we've been taught as parents we've been taught that parents know the answers and that they have to like shape these kids and they should employ consequences and make kids responsible for their behavior but never once in that whole like rhetoric about that has parents have our parents ever been told that hey you should really talk to your kids and see what's going on well and I think it kind of comes back to that thought process of do you believe that your child is genuinely trying to misbehave yes I think a lot of people think the kids are manipulating us oh yeah like uh, seriously again going back to my my days of working with parents and I worked especially in the zero to five or zero to three actually and I can't tell you how many parents I would walk in and they would be saying that their 18 month old is purposefully breaking things and 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 hitting buttons on the TV just to make them mad and I'm all like that's not really their motivation. They that's great you think your kids that smart. He don't have that kind of thought process yet. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that that just kind of leads into the whole like when you have your your toddler or your preschooler who's not listening or your school-age child who's refusing to do their homework, they're not doing it just to buck the system yeah. 99% of the time. I'm not saying like for uh, every once in a while there might be that sliver, but it, it, no child is doing that all the time. Well, even high schoolers yeah. too because I have a friend who's a high school teacher and I posted this one thing on Instagram saying like, you know, we need to – our kids are not manipulating us and we need to find out the real reason behind their behavior. And she – messaged me back and she's like no like we have some kids who are manipulating us and I'm like but they're probably not they probably or they like they need something they have a need that's not being met and so having them on a behavior plan or having them on a reward system will not meet that need it just kind of tries to stop the behavior they're seeing that's annoying like maybe it's interrupting a class maybe it's like who knows what it is? Well, you know, and I think it comes back to like it, she shared the story in the interview about how the kid that kept standing up on the bus and kept mm-hmm. getting in trouble. Yes. And he would stand up and he wouldn't sit down when the bus driver told him to. Mm-hmm. Now, could it, in, in that scenario, as things went on and Kim got involved with it and she called the mom and they talked all together, that's when they found out also from talking to the child, his hips were in pain and they were in such significant pain. He was getting surgery, mm-hmm. but he didn't have the vocabulary or the thought process to go oh if I just tell them that I'm in excruciating pain that could help the situation nope he just kept defying the bus driver and standing up so again like a a lot of times it's not about manipulation and if manipulation is involved sometimes it's just an an inappropriate coping mechanism that they've come up with like you just said because they weren't getting their needs met so they figured out a way to get that attention or to get that need filled otherwise but I always hear this and I think of all the kids like I've taught and I got heated like once we stopped the interview we talked with Kim some more and 
I got heated about the pressure being put on teachers for kids' behavior in the classroom. Because, because they, they aren't taught, teachers right? Teachers aren't taught this. Like, if I knew this as a teacher, I would have approached my classroom in a very different way than I did. Because what you're taught as a teacher is, like, you need a reward system in place. And mm-hmm. you need to, like, make sure every child is seen and heard. However, they never tell you how to do that. They just right. kind of, like, make you feel ashamed that you're not. Well, it works for a group of, like, five. Yeah, but then they put you in. But then they put you in there with thirty or more. So, So, but the big thing that we found was amazing was that the three steps that they talk about at the end about like empathy and concern and invitation. Those are all really big components of something that we know. That is in Calm and Happy Parenting. That's yes. like our APP in the middle of happy. <laughs> <laughs> you down with APP? Yeah, you know me. So okay, if sorry, you guys. <laughs> loved, if you love this episode and you are looking at how you can really use it with your kids, if you're not sure where to start, come and join us in Calm and Happy Parenting. Uh, we have a wait list. You can go there and we'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah. So if you love this interview with Kim, you really got to check out Common Happy Parenting. Yeah. So remember, the best mom's a happy mom. Take care of you. And we'll talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.